Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill, and I'm here with Ken Jacobson. Hi, Mike. Good to be with you today. We're talking today to Beth Levison, who is the director and producer of Storm Lake. It's a film about a local newspaper, the Storm Lake Times, in a small town in Northwest Iowa. Now, that may sound like a very niche kind of offering, but this movie actually is bigger and broader than that. It's not only a character study of Art Cullen, the editor of the newspaper and his family and all the people who work there and the town. It also intersects with things like the American political system, because of course, Iowa is the home of the caucuses, a very important part of the democratic process. We see a host of political luminaries like Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders and even AOC makes an appearance. Don't forget Senator Chuck Grassley. Oh, how can I forget Senator Chuck Grassley, 88 yeah. years old and once again running for Senate? It was fun after we get to know the family and the reporter Tom Cullen, and then to see him interviewing a U.S. Senator, in this case, Chuck Grassley. I found that fascinating. It sure was. And it, it, it also, it is, as I said, it's a very pleasurable film. On top of being interesting and challenging in some ways, I would attribute this to many factors, not the least of which is the music. And I had no idea who had done the music. I just thought, wow, this music is good and fitting. And then at the very end, there's some whistling starts. And only then did it dawn on me that this music might be by Andrew Bird. I think we both commented in the interview with Beth how much we just really enjoyed the film. For me, it felt like going on a really great field trip. It's educational, it's engaging, it's lighthearted, but it has darker themes as well. This, after all, is a struggling farm community in so-called flyover America. But there are so many layers to this. What may seem like your standard small town in, you know, Iowa actually is, is a town that's quite diverse, has a large immigrant community, and is struggling with many of the same national issues that are happening elsewhere. And then on top of that, you have this story about a small town family-run newspaper, which again is something that clearly has national implications because so many papers are folding everywhere across the United States and big towns and small everywhere. So there's just a lot here. There's more than you think, I think at first, and it's just a really fun ride. It really is. And as you note, it is about the decline of the American newspaper, but this is a thriving newspaper in many ways. It's struggling, but it is editorially thriving. It is very involved in its community. It's writing about the changes to the demographics of the county. It's writing about the changes to the weather of the county. It's dealing both with the local issues and with global issues all at once. I admire Art Cullen, and I don't know how he could possibly run this newspaper and write a book. We'll include a link to the book in the show notes. Who's your favorite family member? Probably Tom. He's a lot like his father and his uncle in many ways, but he's really trying to bring the paper into the 21st century. He seems like somebody who could have easily ended up in Minneapolis or Chicago or Atlanta or New York or London, who knows where. 
It seems like he has a lot of drive. He seems bright. And it looks to me, at least one night he slept in the office. So this is a kid who's running hot in the middle of Northwest Iowa. Yeah, Tom is great. And the dynamic between him and his dad is incredible. And Art is just, he's, he's just a quintessential American character. There's just no two ways about it. He's smart, funny, thoughtful, off the cuff. He smokes like a chimney. His hair is completely out of control and has to be cut by his wife, Dolores, the night before he appears on national news <laughs> covering the Iowa caucus. He's an amazing writer. I think everyone who sees this film will fall in love with, with the Cullen family. So we should mention that the film is directed by Beth Levison and Jerry Reishis, who is also from this part of Iowa. Beth Levison is primarily known as a producer in the documentary world, and that's where she has really made her mark, having produced among many films, 32 Pills, My Sister's Suicide, 2017, Personal Statement, 2018, Made in Boise, 2019, and last year's Incredible Women in Blue, which also showed on Independent Lens, as is the case with Storm Lake. One film we didn't ask Beth about is her first credit on IMDb called Kids Are Punny, a 1998 animated film voiced by Gilbert Gottfried, John Leguizama, and others. So if we ever have Beth back, we're definitely going to ask her about Kids Are Punny. Beth's credits as director are, besides Storm Lake, Lemon in 2011 with Laura Brownson, which is a great film. And her awards include an Emmy for Outstanding Children's Program for A Child's Garden of Poetry in 2011. And she's a two-time Emmy nominee for Classical Baby and Classical Baby 2 in 2005. Two other films we didn't ask Beth about. And Storm Lake won the Audience Award at this year's 2021 AFI Docs Film Festival. So obviously audiences are falling in love with this film. If you enjoy these conversations, please do follow us, like the episode, comment, or even share us on social media. Coming up, our discussion with Beth Levison about Storm Lake. Beth, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Beth. Great to have you. Beth, why do you make documentary films? I'm laughing because I ask myself that question often. I really love the craft. I feel like it is a deeply creative endeavor. It's meaningful. It's strategic. It's entrepreneurial. It's impactful. But it's incredibly difficult. So I make films in some ways because it's almost all I've done for my entire career. It continues to pose challenges, but it doesn't disappoint. I think that the documentary film community is an extraordinary one. I think we're imperfect. I think we all know it. But I'm really pleased that these are the people that I can call my colleagues. And I think that's meaningful and important to me. Thank you for being here and congratulations on Storm Lake. It's a wonderful film. You're a New York City-based filmmaker. 
So how did you get mixed up with a guy from Buffalo Center, Iowa, of all places, to make a film about a 3,000 circulation newspaper in the northern part of Iowa? Jerry Reishas and I teach together in the MFA program in social documentary film at the School of Visual Arts here in New York City. And for a long time, we wanted to work together. In 2017, Jerry happened to have been reading the newspaper. He's a news junkie. And he saw that a small newspaper in Northwest Iowa won a Pulitzer. Jerry is from a small town in Northwest Iowa called Buffalo Center. He grew up on a hog farm. His parents still live there. And he was just really captivated by this story and curious. And so on his next visit home to see his parents, he decided to go check out this newspaper and its editor, Art Cullen. He shot for a half a day with Art and thought that Art was a really interesting person. Jerry, from really that moment on, wanted to make a film about him and perhaps the Storm Lake Times. In 2018, I guess about a year later, Jerry was still wanting to get the project off the ground. And he said, hey, did you happen to read the New York Times today? There is an editorial by Art Cullen, the editor I told you about. And I read the editorial. It just blew me away. It was called In My Town, We Need Immigrants. It was just one of those moments where I felt like, wow, I've never heard a voice like this before. And it seemed like an especially powerful read at that moment in American life and politics. Jerry had sent me some sample material. It was really rough, but I thought that there was something really interesting in Art Cullen and we teamed up. And within a few short months, we were really formally moving forward. You primarily work as a producer. I think your last feature documentary that you directed was about 10 years ago, Lemon, which I think is a wonderful film, by the way. Here you are after 10 years going from being an incredibly prolific producer to teaming up with Jerry to direct again. What was that like for you to go back to directing? My professional identity is certainly as a producer, and I love producing, but I'm always a very creatively involved producer. In fact, I'm working on a project right now where I think the directors might be like, wow, she's so creatively (laughs) invested and involved. So it's always a bit of a spectrum for me, to be honest, you know, how creatively involved I am on a project, but I love to direct. I just find that it's actually something I can only do about every 10 years. It's so all-consuming. These projects take on lives of their own, and I feel like I really can only do it once in a decade. So this film, I think it was a lot for Jerry to take on in some ways. He's a career cinematographer. Shooting verite really requires a lot of listening and paying attention to what's in the frame and And also what's outside. But I I think that the film really did need another person who was seeing kind of the bigger picture and thinking about what wasn't going on outside of frame. So it was really wonderful in many ways to come back and direct this film and to do so with Jerry. One thing I've been thinking about a lot was I think that this film was really my form of 2019-2020-2021 activism. With Trump in office, I felt like this was a place where I wanted to put my creative energies. I wasn't sure how else to be an activist 
but this was a way that I knew how. The name of the film is Storm Lake, not the Storm Lake Times. How did you find that balance between the paper itself and the community it serves? That was an ongoing struggle and something that we worked very hard to balance. And we only realized that we had to do so once we really started understanding the role of a newspaper in a community. Art had this saying that a newspaper is only as strong as its community and a community is only as strong as its local newspaper. Once we really understood that dynamic and even saw it playing out ourselves, we really knew that it, it couldn't just be about the Storm Lake Times because the Storm Lake Times is about its larger community. So it was something that we were always balancing in the making of the film while also having to tell the story of the Cullens themselves and develop each of them as, I don't like to use the word character, but develop them as characters in the film. The film is about, obviously, this one community. It's also about rural America in general. There's two big competing trends in rural America. There's many others, but two that I would think of that are in play here. One is the fact that it's getting more red, that rural and non-college educated voters are becoming more Republican. The other, though, is that in many rural areas, there's a growing immigrant population, mainly, but not exclusively, from Mexico and Central America. I think a lot of people might be a little bit surprised by the latter trend. I think it's really interesting how you introduced this in the intro, the high school soccer team. I got to think for some viewers like, whoa, those don't look like Iowa farm boys to me. How do you think about revising the way people might think about rural Iowa? Certainly we had to think about how we brought that into the film. The fact of the matter is that it is just such a diverse place, but it did take work and thought. And it's funny that you would mention that moment with the soccer players, because we really did use that intentionally to introduce this idea. I guess what really ended up happening is we knew that we had to introduce the nature of this community. But once COVID happened, that took on even greater significance because we knew that we would have to tell the story of not just the meat packing plants and the spread of COVID, but who the people were working in those meat packing plants. We really went back and really started to think how we could introduce this idea of the community and what it's made up of. For example, putting the story of Emmanuel Trujillo, the Mexican singing star, in the first act, that was certainly very intentional, structurally and towards introducing this idea of who lives in Storm Lake. One of the things, though, that is interesting is that because this is largely a family newspaper, half of the paid staff is the Cullen family. They're white. These storytellers are white, yet they do seem extremely sensitive to the fact that immigration is not only a, a demographic fact, but really a key to the survival of the community itself. The Cullens are very open about the fact that they are an all-white newspaper. And Art talks about how right now it would be the first generation of young people of Latin descent who could potentially work at the newspaper. If you ask Art what his hopes are for the future, his hopes are that the next editor would be a Latina woman. He's really committed, as is the Cullen family, to telling those stories and telling those stories as best they can. Since we made the film, 
uh, Art has gone on Social Security. So now there are two members of the Storm Lake Times staff who are basically working for free in order to keep the paper alive. And right now, or up until now, they, they've also had financial issues about how do they bring on another team member. I think it's a tension that they're going to address in coming years, assuming that the newspaper survives. One of the sort of off-screen characters of the film is Tyson. It's the largest employer by far in the community. I thought you handled it really interestingly in that you did so in a way from the side. It's not like you go to Tyson and knock on the door and, and try to interview executives there and so on, but it does keep coming up. They are not only a huge employer, but they're a political actor. We certainly tried to film at Tyson, but we weren't given access. And in some ways, that's why we love that moment when Dolores says, oh, you mean I can't take your picture in the parking lot? We couldn't even really take pictures in the parking lot. We did shoot from the side, as you say, and had numerous conversations. I'm glad that their presence is felt because I think we had concerns since we couldn't get in there if it would be felt. We also wanted to give the feeling of what it's like to live in Storm Lake. Its presence is always felt. You drive by it, it's in the center of town. It's not way out on the outskirts. You smell it, almost everybody works there. So we also just tried to represent it as it is in the community as best we could. It seems like Art's own relationship to Tyson, maybe like many people's, is a little complex. I get the sense that while he got his Pulitzer for writing about corporate agricultural pollution, he also says it's great that Tyson's opening a new turkey plant. It looks to me like maybe there were a couple ads that were in the paper from Tyson trying to hire people locally. So it seems like he understands that Tyson's absolutely essential for the town and yet is concerned about the pollution, is concerned about the way they treat their workers, is concerned about how they handle the COVID data. It's really complex. And in the film, he says, what if you blow it all up? Then what would happen? So it's not ideal. It's not great for the environment, this kind of production agriculture. It's not great for climate change. Those are two huge issues right there, but it does drive the economy and Tyson's Foods does give people jobs. So it's really not simple at all. And the presence of production agriculture is so entrenched and so interwoven with every aspect of life, certainly in that neck of the woods, that shutting it down, it, it's just, it's very complex. The film is a mixture of a focus on the community, on Storm Lake and the surrounding area and on this family owned newspaper. I presume that you approached Art first. How did that dance work in terms of you and Jerry talking to Art and communicating, hey, we wanna focus on the newspaper, but we also, we wanna follow this family. The Collins, what they do for a living is they tell people stories. So when we wanted to come in and tell their story, I think they had a hunch of what it would entail. In the beginning, when we first started, I think that Jerry and I both thought that the film would really be about art and that the other members of the family would play less of a role in the film. But the more time that we spent in Storm Lake really started to see sort of the heart and soul that Dolores brings to the paper. 
And we saw that Tom is this really burgeoning young reporter. And we saw the role that John plays in keeping the paper going and paying the bills. And that even Mary kind of has this wonderful role. I mean, she's been doing the recipe column for 30 years. I think she's only missed that column two or three times in that time period. I think what started out as perhaps a film focused on art really did turn into an ensemble film. And a huge asset was that Jerry was from Iowa and that he spoke the language and kind of understood all the agricultural terminology. And so that created a lot of comfort and a lot of trust, I think. In some ways, there was a tacit understanding and everyone was really game and we communicated a lot. And it's one of those films that's really rooted in trust. And I think that was the key ingredient to the whole thing. One of the pleasures of the film, and I have to say that I very much enjoyed this film. We watch a lot of documentaries. A lot of them are very moving and powerful, but this one also is very enjoyable. And one of the joys of it is watching the family. And it does not hurt that the men are all sort of different colors in the same palette. They all are very similar in the way they stand and hold themselves. I always think when Tom is walking into the elementary school and he stooped over, it's just the same posture as art always cracks me up. Having worked a bit with family members, I do wonder about this. They seem to do very well together. There seems to be this sort of Midwestern calm and niceness, but I think it's hard to work all the time with your family for decades, for your entire life. I think they work really well together. And as a family, I think they spend a lot of time together in the office. And just a funny story, there were probably two or three times where we wanted to shoot like a dinner scene. And so we would say like, hey, do you think you guys might want to have dinner together? We could film that. Dolores would make dinner. Tom would come over. They'd put food on their plates and they would just go into the TV room and just watch TV. And we'd be waiting for something to happen. And don't you want to talk to each other? And they said, we talk to each other all day long. <laughs> so they're a family that, that works. And then they certainly go off and do their own thing when they're not working together. Dolores plays the organ in a local church. And we weren't really able to include that. And Tom has a rigorous workout routine and Art has his own pastimes. I think they've learned to balance it all. I did find myself being curious about Tom and where he lives. And I was just picturing like this small studio apartment in town and just papers and boxes everywhere. A lot of cool yeah. shirts. Yeah. yeah, I also was picturing a line of apparel that uh, Tom could put his name on. Tell us about the secret life of Tom. Tom kept it pretty privately, I guess I would say. He did live for a period of time in sort of a man cave. So you have imagined it correctly. Spent a lot of time in the office. He actually lived above the Better Day Cafe, which is in the film. But more recently, he has bought a house in Storm Lake. And I think he has a renter maybe on one floor. I think he lives above. And so it seems like he has every intention of staying despite some of the challenges that might pose for him personally, but he's committed. I think probably most of our listeners understand the plight of newspapers, especially rural newspapers. I and mean, at the very end of your film, you 
put up a card that says that 65 million Americans live in news deserts. And there's ways in which this newspaper is typical and there's ways that it's not. It's not a daily, it's a bi-weekly. Presidential candidates visit the office. The editor recently won a Pulitzer. So it's kind of a standout. How did you balance that in that you're trying to talk in many ways about the local newspapers and the lots of local newspapers, but in some ways, this is a different sort of newspaper too. What has been so interesting now that we've taken the film on the road is the degree to which people have no idea of the struggle that newspapers are facing. We did an 18 city theatrical across the Midwest. People just want to talk about newspapers and news and the future of news. It's amazing how many educated people and newspaper readers just have no idea that newspapers are in trouble. It's partially because many newspapers do a good job of telling the stories of the day or of their community, but they're not very good at telling their own story. And that was really a place where art helped us narratively because he would tell the story of the Storm Lake Times to the community through his editorials. We actually didn't have the original intention of telling a larger story necessarily. We wanted to tell a really intimate story about the Collins and the Storm Lake Times in this community. And only as we started filming more and more, and again, understanding the community more, did we realize that perhaps this community could stand for a larger community. In some ways, the themes of this small town are national ones. Only later, as we became more familiar with the subject matter, did we realize that maybe this newspaper could tell a larger newspaper story but certainly it is a unique newspaper. Not every newspaper has an Art Cullen sitting behind the desk writing those kinds of editorials. So we were just really committed to telling this story as well as we could. And I guess what is exciting is the degree to which other newspapers want to screen the film for their community because it, it, it tells their story too. We were at the Philadelphia Film Festival a couple of nights ago and Travis True, the programmer, said to me, watching the film, I felt like I was just experiencing the pages of a local newspaper in film. And that was a compliment because that was definitely something that we were going for. And then at AFI Docs, when Margaret Sullivan said, I feel like I've been to Storm Lake, that was the other thing that we were going for. That's some feedback that's been nice to have. But it's important to note that it's the craft that gives us that feeling. It's not just you were there and you captured it. It's how you shot it, how you edited it, how you directed it. An example for me is the way the scenes in the newsroom were shot. I felt like the way the camera was often set up, it was as if I had my own desk in the newsroom and I was a member of this news team and I just wanted to be there. For me, it was like going back to my first dreams were to be a journalist. Okay, I get to vicariously live out this dream now. I think when we think about the loss of newspapers, we tend to focus on the loss of local news, especially investigative journalism. And there's some very excellent studies that show that towns that lose their newspapers, the government becomes less efficient. It starts spending more money for financing. It gets worse deals for, with its contractors. But you really focus a lot, not just on the news, but on the editorial, right? It helps that Art's an amazing reader of his own words, I'm sure, uh, adds a lot of power. But it does seem that Art, even though his views are probably to the left of many people in his county, you feel it's important that he's expressing these views. His editorial voice is an important part of the community. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we really wanted to highlight that voice because that is the voice of local news. When you go to different communities and you read newspapers in other communities, that editorial voice is of the plates. I think that so many of us have become used to this East Coast or West Coast journalism, a certain voice and tone. We really wanted to bring out this one, Art's voice, this voice of Iowa, of Northwest Iowa. And just a really funny story is that when we were shooting, Art is a, a contributor to other newspapers, other national newspapers. And we would see when he would send out an editorial, how he would get the editorials back with all of his sort of local flourishes and language crossed out in red and how it was this really, I don't want to say a homogenized voice, but what makes him was largely stripped away. So I think we were really interested in this idea that a local newspaper and its writers have their own voice and we wanted audiences to hear it. I'm just curious about the local reaction to Art's editorials because he goes to great pains to basically say it's the local news coverage that people read the paper for. And his editorials cover local news, but they also go outside of that. I think sometimes they're really incendiary and people don't agree with them at all. What we love about that section of the film where readers respond is some folks read the paper and just want to get the local news. Some people are open to reading to what he has to say who disagree with him because they're just interested in hearing the other point of view. Of course, there are folks that agree with art and then there are just folks who really don't and they don't subscribe. Art is outspoken and it doesn't always work for him in the paper. One of, one of the other things that's unique here is that there's a presidential campaign going on. It's 2020 yeah. and the Democrats are trying to pick a candidate. And of course, the Iowa caucus is the first stop on that trail. And they all have to do a lot of work in Iowa, make many appearances. And we see that they cross paths with the newspaper and with art. At what point did you settle on the fact that this presidential campaign provides a timeline and a backdrop? So we're going to focus on that story. We decided on that pretty early because we knew that these presidential events would give a structure to the film. They were like tent poles in the storytelling. The very first shoot was when we went out to shoot the Heartland Forum. We received funding like three weeks in advance and we went out. And once we realized, oh, we're shooting the very first multi-candidate democratic event in the 2020 cycle, I think we had this idea, okay, then we could finish the film with the presidential election. We stuck with that structure for better or worse. And then the caucuses gave us another stopping point in the second act. We hope that structure would work from the get-go. And then I guess I would just say we continued to lean into it in the making of the film. We did have other times when national candidates came to town. So we had a fantastic scene with Beto O'Rourke and we had more with Pete Buttigieg. But Heartland Forum, caucuses, presidential election, those were the three moments that we dipped into national politics. 
the culmination of the campaign in Iowa is the Iowa caucus, and you do spend a good amount of time on that evening. There's the scene at the Better Day Cafe, which basically turns into just a rout by the Bernie Sanders supporters in that caucus site. You really let that scene play through. We see the entire speech by the leader of the Bernie Sanders group, who's uh, a young woman who speaks eloquently and passionately about her father who passed away and that universal health care might have saved him. That was a pretty amazing night, actually. There were about six or eight, maybe even 10 caucus locations in Storm Lake that night. So basically, we were two cameras that night. Jerry and I went out and followed Art to the Buena Vista University Caucus. You'll notice that there are a lot of mic shadows in those scenes, and that's thanks to my excellent sound work. (laughs) But then we had a second unit follow Tom. I guess we just felt like that was the surprising material. That was the really strong material. That was the material that really had heart and soul and that told you even more about Storm Lake. We really decided to emphasize those moments in the Better Day Cafe. I I think that we were as taken by surprise by the turnout at the Better Day Cafe as Tom was. And we thought that that element of surprise and what it said about the place was meaningful. For me, it was a bit of a revelation. I mean, obviously I was following along with the national news media on the coverage of the Iowa caucus, but in that moment, it really dawned on me like it never had before, the depth of Bernie's support among Latinos. So it really spoke to the national campaign that he ran. And it also, again, told us about the local communities. I really appreciate that. I didn't think about it. I don't think any of us have really thought about it from the national perspective. Yeah, we just thought it was such a way to show who's living in Storm Lake, who's participating in our democracy. I think that we have this idea, many of us who are not from, let's say, Iowa, rural America, about what it looks like and who lives there. And this was just another opportunity to challenge those assumptions and show something else. The evening culminates in a bit of a disaster, which is the screw up with the app and everything that went on with the Iowa Democratic Committee. Again, you take us back to the newsroom and it's Tom and Art hanging out in the newsroom and checking their phones and getting updates. What I love is Art's reaction to what's going on. It is such an Iowa reaction. First, It's in response to the national media basically saying, hey, where are the numbers? Art's a little prideful and he's like, you know, dude, we're going to get to it. We always get to it. It's not even 10 o'clock yet. We got this. And then eventually, of course, it turns out there is a, a massive screw up. And you see that play out with Art's comments and his attitude, which is, oh, this is a screw up and they're going to take this away from us. And that's a real shame. I just wondered if, as you were in that room with Art and Tom, how things played out through their conversation that evening. The way I think about that night is from a production standpoint, we knew that the caucuses were running until 10 o'clock in Iowa. We were originally anticipating to be shooting until 10 o'clock 
only that the Collins kind of all gathered back at the office at around 9.15 because by about then all the other caucus sites had kind of emptied out and there was nothing else to do. So for us to be there and already the national cable news was saying that this was a mess and a disaster, it wasn't even 10 o'clock yet. So we felt just like Art did and it was this incredible opportunity for us to juxtapose a local newsroom against cable news and, and how you just can't compete with that. It also just got me thinking about if I were in my apartment watching the results as I would have been, all the information I would have had would have been from that cable news coverage. And yet to be there was something altogether different. And to see neighbors talking to each other and haggling over who they were going to support, it was incredibly moving. So to have that front row view, it was just so powerful. And I think for me as a filmmaker, but also a person, I realized, wow, there's really something here at stake if we were to lose this. So it was as much an opportunity for us to show how the Storm Lake Times was covering this event and what happened as it was to really juxtapose it against, you know, Rachel Maddow's coverage and others. I want to talk a bit about the end, the Dear Tom letter. This note from Art to Tom is actually, despite all the challenges to the paper, to the community, to the family in some ways, it's very optimistic. It's forward-looking. You reinforce this tone through all your positive community scenes. Seems like the editing is a little quicker here to me. And the music behind it, foregrounds whistling. It seems very positive. Do they really have that much of a reason to be cheery? It's funny. I don't think we felt like it was cheery. I think we thought that it was poignant. And I think poignant is important because poignancy is infused with a little bit of loss and a little bit of sadness. But they're going to keep going by hook or by crook, or as Art would say, come hell or pandemic, they're going to keep going. So it could be a little bit overly optimistic in the end. I think they have reason to be pessimistic, but they are very committed to the cause. And I guess I would say that letter to Tom, we really worked hard to figure out where that would go. As you could imagine, in numerous cuts, it was at the top of the film. I can't remember that moment when we realized it should conclude the film. Once we put it there, we were really excited about it. I guess the last thing is that we were so incredibly lucky that Andrew Bird did our score. And some of that tone is how Andrew interpreted that moment too. When he delivered the whistling, uh, I was just so excited. And that's really his signature sound and that he was willing to apply that to the film and give that to the film just was a real kind of shot in the arm and really validating. At the very end, of the, I think the last title tells us that the Times, La Prensa, which is the local Spanish language newspaper, and two other families have formed the Western Iowa Journalism Foundation. This seems huge to me and does seem to be a very optimistic note. Could you tell us more about that? And is this a potential model for other newspapers, do we think? Other small rural newspapers? I certainly think that they're hoping that it's a model for other newspapers. It's inspired by the Seattle Times and the way that they ended up structuring their newspaper. And I think that this age of newspapers competing with one another, which has been the status quo for so long, is just no longer a sustainable model. 
they're giving it a go. They're not yet sharing content. It's really a business model for now, but we'll see how it evolves. I think it's working so far. And I know that they're hoping that it's perhaps a model for other papers across the country. Another forward-looking moment in the film is the scene in the Better Day Cafe. John and Tom are reporting to Art about the possible Apprenza partnership and trying to get his buy-in. And in the course of that conversation, Tom gives a couple of ideas for the future. One is giving people free one-day access to the newspaper's website. Another is a podcast. And Art seems to like the one idea about the one-day pass, the podcast. He doesn't see the value in that. or He wants to keep writing and he doesn't want to be a podcaster. My question is, those are moments where we think, okay, Tom does represent the future of this newspaper, and he is coming in here with these ideas, and he's thinking about the future. Do you feel like that they are thinking about a succession plan, not just in terms of maybe Tom taking over, but just looking at ideas that are going to provide for the long-term sustainability of the paper? So every movie is just a moment in time. It encapsulates that moment, at least in documentary. That scene certainly encapsulated that very specific moment. The Collins have evolved in some ways since that meeting. I know that one thing is that Art is really thinking that the future of the paper has to include a Latinx reporter and maybe a Latina editor. Since COVID, they've really seen how having a digital presence is so important and having a a strong one is so important. They do have this new website. They are leaning into it more. They have a daily newsletter where you get a digest of the day's stories. And that's really been important to them. And then the last thing that's really funny is that Art is now open to a podcast. (laughs) He says that he feels like he has a face perfect for a podcast. And now that the movie's out every screening that we have where there's a Q&A that he's a part of, someone asks him, hey, so what do you think about a podcast? He says, okay, enough. I'm open to a podcast. So I think they are thinking about all these different things that you have to do and that maybe a paper product isn't enough. And I think if you talk to Art five years ago, he would have said we are firmly committed to paper. He's now saying in five to 10 years, maybe it would be a digital product But that has its implications as well. I mean, think about all those people who do not have a computer in their home. Think about all those people who do not have broadband. Do you have any last thoughts or anything you want to share about the film? Well, I just think that a key piece of it as well is the music. When we were fundraising for the film, we had a fundraising reel and we had Andrew Bird cues in there and they just really seemed to work. There's just a heart to the music and a craft to the music and also a little bit of that quirkiness that I think the Cullens have. So when it came time to bring on a composer, I mean, we must talk to like 20 different composers. And we kept on saying, we're going for something Andrew Birdian. And people would be like, okay. I mean, they're artists in their own, but we were sharing the sound that we were going for. So to make long story short, a a colleague of mine knew Andrew's manager. She gave me the contact information. I reached out to Andrew's manager. And within days, I got a phone call 
It was a Saturday afternoon. I was doing my kids' laundry. I saw that it was Andrew's manager and I answered the phone and she said, I've got Andrew on the line. He wants to talk to you. And I was like completely starstruck and really made a fool out of myself, to be honest. But he said, I'm going to do your score. And he said, and I kind of have to do your score. A lot of people don't know this, but my grandfather had a farm just outside of Dubuque. So I grew up going to Iowa and he said, I think your film shows a progressive side to Iowa that most people have no idea that it exists, but it's the Iowa that I know. I really want to do your score. So I think that it was very important to us. We didn't want it to sound like some interpretation of the Midwest musically. We wanted it to sound, again, of that place. I don't want to say of the vernacular, but certainly of that place. Having a composer who knows that land, who'd been to Storm Lake, I think it made a big difference in the film in terms of its tone and the qualities it brought to it. Beth, I I just want to thank you so much for being with us today and congratulate you and Jerry and the entire team. I think that Jerry shot it so beautifully. And I really just also want to shout out Rachel Schumann, our editor, and Leah Boatwright, our co-editor, who helped us come up with the structure for a deceptively complicated film. I just feel like I have to make a nod to that because I don't think the film would be what it is without the particular collaborations that we had. It's a wonderful film and I'm sure art could write a beautiful poetic editor's notebook just on the making of this film. Thanks so much for having me. I so appreciate having a filmmaking conversation about it. It is really refreshing to have a conversation about the film and choices that we made. And I'm happy to say that Art and the Cullens are just so over the moon with the film. And that's been a really wonderful outcome. It doesn't always happen. They feel like we captured them as authentically as we could have. And it's had an impact on their lives. So that's good too. Do you have a hidden gem documentary that you maybe you've watched in the past or more recently that you think doesn't get the attention it deserves? I thought Advocate last year was a total tour de force. It was an Israeli film. I didn't really feel like enough people saw it. I thought that the way that film was put together and structured and the animation and everything about it made for such a cohesive whole. A totally different film that I happened to see this year I admit that the filmmaker has a special place in my heart, but it's Beth B's Lydia Lunch, The War Is Never Over. Talk about a film that, again, is just its own cohesive work, thematically, tonally, aesthetically, creatively. And I think Beth directed, edited, shot, composed the music in places. So I just thought that was such a strong film and then I'm especially fond of a film that I consulted on that is just being released now called Charm Circle by a first-time filmmaker Nir Burstein. It is a really just such a unique story. I think it's really special in its own way. Those are three that come to mind.